Amen. Good morning, Calvary. How are you? There's a lot going on. Um, we might even say we were blown away with all that's going on. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Um, we have a team that is currently in Chicago working with our partner church. We're thankful for them and we're praying for them as they um, work over there today. And we also have a group from middle school who is coming back this afternoon. We pray for safety as they come back and are excited about that, of course, as we do it. And I also wanted to tell you, after uh, quite a long search, our search team has unanimously brought before, and we'll be meeting uh, Jordan uh, and Chelsea next week as they are going to be likely candidates for our children's search team. And so we're excited about that. Jordan is the one who's actually going to fill the role. His wife, as he says, is joined at my hip and works beside me. Jordan is currently pursuing a doctorate in work uh, in ministry. And in about 10 years from now, feels called to be um, probably like a seminary professor, but right now feels really called to children's ministry. And a really impressive young man and his wife is a great young lady. They're going to be here next weekend. So if you see them, we want you to know that. Pray for them. It's, it's an exciting time. We receive a lot of applications, men, women, all over the world. And um, we feel really led to, to have Jordan come. So thankful for that as we go uh, and proceed forward. We are covering First um, Peter as we talk about that. And this week we're talking about marriage. And a spoiler, I, I, I preached a sermon very similar to this about a year ago through the book of Ephesians. We're going through the book of First Peter, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover that. And so I want you to understand why we do it. Um, I think Russell Moore's book says it best when we understand that, that marriage is spiritual warfare. It just is. And we need to take it seriously. We need to have the conversations about what it looks like in a marriage and, and how to make that work. Um, I also want to be very clear that if you're a single in this room or anything along those lines, there's a lot in this message for you as well. But when we're talking about marriage, this idea, I, I think we've been talking the last few weeks about how we've, our society's gone from a bell curve to a well curve. And a bell curve is, is the idea that most of the people are in the middle, and the well curve has pushed people to the extreme. So our politics are extreme. They're, they're way left or way right. Our, our, the way we think about it is way left, and there's not many people in the middle. And I think we need to find the middle on this topic because there's two extremes that the church often adopts. One is the word egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is the idea that men and women are exactly the same. <clears throat> men and women are different, right? we acknowledge that? I mean, there's a reason, right? By the way, if you're worried about the screens bouncing at all like that, that's the wind. Don't ask me how. <laughs> Raise the roof. Just kidding. Um, <clears throat> the idea of, uh, of men and women being different, and I think no other time is, is, is this more personified in my life than when I was driving my wife to give birth, and I remember thinking, she can't drive herself to the hospital, Right? And I don't want to, I don't want to give birth. <laughs> so that kind of, I, we realized, and then we brought home the baby and she was like, I, I know kind of what to do now. And I was like, I don't have a clue, but we're going to figure this out together. And, and it's but men and women are different. And I think we need to recognize it, but we are equal in dignity. We're going to come back to that. So there's the idea of egalitarianism, but the other extreme of this, I made up a word. This is a Daniel Berry made up word. Um, it's actually a, a, a compound word. It's called archaic complementarianism. And archaic complementarianism is the idea that, that God has given men this leadership role which makes them ahead of where women are. And so, women, you need to kind of do this and this and this and this and this and this in order to be complete. And that's just not true. And I want us to look for the middle today. Um, I want us to really try to struggle to find that. And uh, before we even get into the First Peter passage, I want to have some basic understandings. First, one I want you to see is marriage is not the goal of life. Aren't you glad 
despite what the Disney movies may say, despite what you've always been, marriage is not the goal of life. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, it says this, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain as I am. That's Paul saying, I'm single and I'm loving it. And it's okay. Your value and your dignity isn't found through a spouse. It's not in trying to find that perfect marriage. So wherever you are today, I want you to enjoy the, the fact that God loves you for where you are. The second one is found in Genesis 1.27, probably the most read verse that we've ever covered in this church. It says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And that's the idea that both men and women are created in the image of God, both with equal dignity. And the fullness of that carries out the, the picture of the gospel. In femininity and masculinity, you find the characteristics and the nature of God. God is nurturing, amen? God is strong, amen? So all of those things, now God is. And if it's good, God made it. And God made male and females different, but they're all in the image of God. And so I want you to see that God made male and female both in the image of God. I also want you to see a godly marriage is symbolic of the covenant relationship that God has for his people. In other words, the reason we, part of the reason we take marriage so seriously around here is this is to represent the closest representation of what we have to our relationship with Jesus. And I think that's super important. And because of that, there's a few things I want to cover real quickly with that idea of covenant and, and, and why it's so important. Um, the very first thing is that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman and that, that divorce was never really an option. Now, we did a sermon on divorce not too long ago, and if you want to listen to that, we'd be glad to link you that with you. Stop by the Next Step Space. We'll help you find it. Um, there is a time for divorce, and God does allow divorce under certain circumstances. But far too often, people run to divorce, divorce way too quickly. And I want you to see that, that divorce was never really the plan, but it's, it's an option in certain circumstances. Does that make sense? But it was never the plan. So if you're in this room and you've been divorced, I want you to know I, God, God didn't really want you to be divorced, and he hurts with you. But he also doesn't want you to be defined by it. All right? Let's go on to the next part of that, which is the fact that when we do a wedding ceremony around here, there's a state ceremony and a religious ceremony in one. In our country, we've combined those two. And the state ceremony is the part where I sign the certificate. And the day may come where I may, not, I may no longer sign the state certificates. Does that mean we'll stop doing weddings? Absolutely not. I'll just do the religious ceremonies. Because the religious ceremony is what I care about more than anything else. The religious ceremony is where you say, I repeat after me. The state ceremony, you have to say, I do. And that's when I go, yeah, I don't care if you get tax breaks. I don't care what you tell the government. I really care that you're into this for life and it's a covenant relationship. And that's why we do it in a religious way. Because we're wanting you to define your marriage as a covenant. And a covenant is different than a contract. A covenant says, I'm with this for life. No matter what you do, I, I, it's not, my behavior is not going to be contingent on how you live. Aren't you glad? Because it's supposed to represent our relationship with God, and God isn't going, oh, you messed up. There goes our... No, it's not like that. And the covenant's different than a contract. A contract says, once you've fulfilled your agreement, we break it off. Or also, a contract also says um, that if you don't meet your agreement, then we can break it off. That's not what a covenant says. A covenant says, no matter what you do, I'm in it. So that's why it's so important for us to understand this. And why in that ceremony we say, let no one tear apart. Because the ultimate point of covenant relationship is to show us how God loves us unconditionally. It's intimacy. The last little um, 
introduction to the Peter passage, I wanted you to understand one of the most talked about topics around here is that marriage is intimacy. It's knowing all there is to know. You want proof? In 1 Peter, he describes that we should pursue the knowledge of God. That word is translated as the same word that we find in Genesis 4.1a when it says, the King James says, Adam knew Eve. The CSB says, Adam was intimate with Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Now, that's not just the act of procreation. That is knowing all there is to know. It's not just a physical act. It's, it's saying, I, I'm giving myself completely to you. And, and the intimacy there it's describing as the four levels are emotional, physical, intellectual, and spiritual intimacy. Emotional, physical, intellectual, and spiritual intimacy. And it takes all four of those to have an intimate relationship. It's not just an act. So the reason you're attracted to someone of the opposite sex, the reason you long to get married, it is the desire to know and be known that attracts us to each other. Have you ever thought about it like that? I want to know you and I want to be known. I want to feel value in that. But the problem with that is if we, if we do it right, it glorifies God. But the problem is our selfishness creeps in. Sin. And it destroys our intimacy. Okay, I, I've shared this before too, but I'm going I'm to save myself some trouble for those of you who haven't heard this from having to come in because this is the most common complaint when couples come in and talk to a, 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 a pastor about their marriage, Okay. He comes into my office and he says, I know there's kids in the room, so I'm going to be a little delicate with this, basically saying, um, she is not um, letting me know her biblically as much as I would like. And she sits there and, go, and goes, well, that's true, but it's because he's not emotionally there for me. She may not use those words. He's not listening to me. He's not whatever. He's a jerk. You know, all those kind of things. But what she's really saying is he's not emotionally there for me. And I, and I get that. And, and, and what I would say is, okay, so you're not emotionally fulfilled, right? So you're going to sit there and go, stay over there, buddy, right? And he's sitting there going, well, I have no desire to be emotional with her because she is not being there for me. And so, and stereotypes break down, but, but here's what you really understand. Forget the act. What it's really about is giving yourself away. And that men feel emotionally connected to their wives the most after physical intimacy. Did you know that, ladies? And that women will think you look a whole lot better, guys, than you actually do when you listen to her. <laughs> amen. Yeah, you need to say amen. Oh. <laughs> and the reality is, stereotypes break down. Generality, this may not be how it works for your marriage, but the point isn't that particular thing. The point is, when you give yourself away in the context of marriage, you receive. That's a beautiful thing. And knowing all there is to know is why we try to reserve that for marriage, because it's, it's an intimacy. It's, it's the understanding. And so when Peter's addressing this, he's addressing this in a way that gets us to understand this is what marriage should look like. And he starts with the ladies, because ladies first. But don't worry, ladies. It's going to get a little sticky for you, but it's going to get way worse for the men. So here we go. First Peter 3, 1 through 6 is this. In the same way, wives... Submit yourself to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothing, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God 
also adorn themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. And the idea of intimidation there is the physical strength, and that, that was the idea back then that the women were kind of property of men, and you don't have to fear it if you're living in a Christ-like way, but he's going to come and address the men, don't use your strength, don't be a bully. So we're going to get to there, but I want you to understand that. But when you're reading the passage on wives right there, it's really important to, to, to go, okay, what's this really about? We look, get that middle part, and we're like, that sounds kind of awesome. Like, I'm not going to find my value in my hairstyle. I'm not going to find my value in my jewelry or my makeup. Now, is there wrong things to have a nice hairstyle? No. Is it wrong to wear makeup or not? I don't know. But you're saying my value, I know, I just got myself in trouble. My value is not going to be found in the way I look. My value is going to be found in chasing after the heart of God. And then he asks them in order to do that, I want you to submit. And we sit there and go, well, I don't really want to submit. But that's when we have to back up and look at this in the bigger context. Okay? Does Ephesians talk about submission? Yes. Does, does 1 Peter talk about submission? Yes. But both of them with this one caveat. In Ephesians, it says submission, submit one to another. And then he goes on and says wives submit and then husbands lead. Okay? But he starts with submit to one another. In Peter, it doesn't seem to say that, except that what have we been talking about the last four weeks? Our attitude. When we've done the hashtag, we've talked about this, the part of 1 Peter where he's talking about the attitude. But really, what we almost hashtag instead of the word attitude was the word submit, because all four weeks have been about submission. Now, that should be our attitude. Now, why did we make it hashtag submission? Because none of you would have come. But the attitude that has been pervasive over that entire time has been submit. Submit to the government when appropriate. Submit at work when appropriate. And what is submission but practicing grace-filled respect? Grace-filled respect. Respect in the fact that you said, okay, ladies, I married him, so I'm going to respect him. But I don't want to. But you're still going to try, right? Why? Because you need grace. What is grace? Well, grace is what you hope God gives you, right? Because you aren't perfect. And I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I don't really want to do what he wants. I don't really, we don't get along and stuff. And, and I got news for you. You didn't marry Jesus. You're like, I'll submit to him. If he, if he loves me like Christ loved the church and is really willing to die for me and really always puts me first and always puts me on this pedestal and treats me always kind and never says an ugly word and knows all my feelings and all, that man doesn't exist. But Jesus does, Right? And so if you're trying to find your fulfillment in a man, it ain't going to happen. Why? Once again, Jesus came, but you aren't marrying Jesus. Right? So maybe you should practice some grace-filled respect. Why? Is the point of this passage submission? No. Is the point of this passage in action? No. The main point of this passage is telling wives to make their lives point to Jesus. Why? Because when you point to Jesus, you'll find that your, fa your family, your husband, your kids, if it's applicable, will see Jesus in you, and then they'll be drawn to Jesus, and then ultimately you actually get more out of it that way. Because a husband who sees his wife glorifying God will be drawn to that. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it leads us to the cross. 
You see, marriage is spending your life giving yourself away as Christ did for the church. And that's wonderful. That's what we should do. But we're going to let him lead, him being a husband, spiritually. So what does that mean? Note to women is what my note says. So let me, these are some real quick, real fly by the seat of my pants notes. They're not fly by the seat of pants. Fly by, I mean quick notes, okay? First of all, the Bible says submit to your husbands. It doesn't say submit to all men. going on. The other thing I want you to understand, the next two points are really based on science and psychology, and I want you to hear this. The husband not leading is likely doing nothing. What does that mean? He's probably sitting on the couch, eating chips, wondering when dinner is done. The husband not leading is likely doing nothing. Now, Does this mean that women shouldn't lead? No, absolutely, women should lead. We'll come back to that in a minute. But let me explain to you why this happens. Because psychology leads us to these truths, okay? Here's here's why this happens. Anybody ever read the book, Women Are Like Spaghetti and Men Are Like Waffles? A few of you. The rest of you are like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's not a Christian book. It's a psychology book, okay? But here's the idea. Women are like spaghetti in that all their events represent a noodle. And when you try to pull a noodle out, so if she has a bad day at work, try to pull one noodle out without it affecting all the other noodles. They, and what the reason that is, is because you're able to multitask. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Men are like waffles in that they see their life in squares. So there's a work square. There's a marriage square. There's a nothing square, ladies. We have a nothing square. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Guys, you shouldn't stay there very long because that's the easiest place to go. What are you talking about? I'm nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. That's impossible. Actually, it is. What's it like to be in the nothing square? I don't know. It's just like. <laughs> oh, you step out, okay? I'm thinking. And so, and the reason that all happens is in the womb when a baby boy is born. There's, uh, he, he gets the testosterone. What actually happens is in the brain, it causes a separation of the way the left and the right brain hemis- uh, work together. So this is kind of cool, science, okay? So you, let's hook up the electrodes to a woman. I'm going to give you the scientific term. And you watch the way her brain functions. This is the scientific way that her brain works, okay? Scientifically. This is exactly the way scientists would describe it. It goes like this. Science. Right? Kids at school, blah, blah, it's, which is why a woman can be making a meal, hear her cuss, kids cuss three blocks over, somehow communicate to him to stop cussing, your mama hears all, and listen to her husband talk at the same time. Men can barely sometimes tie their shoes, right? Okay, that's a bit of exaggeration. I'm not trying to dog men. Men are great for certain things. But the reason that is is because of that. Now you hook up electrodes to men. Here's the scientific way of things works for men. Stay over here. It's comfortable. Now, is that bad? No. In fact, if you look at the way it works together, it's perfect. Because what it means is that men help round out a woman. And so sometimes they're able to, we'll get to this in a minute, emotionally be what a woman needs because her brain's going, and he's like, slow down. Let's go to this box. I don't have a box, but I'm going to help you. You see what I'm saying? And women can multitask. And the reason women can multitask is because God has gifted them to do amazing things. And so what ends up happening is, women, you are leading. Why? Because the way your brain functions, you see that the house is a mess. 
And you can't settle down until he does. He can. Why? He just doesn't think about it. How do you not think about it? I just don't. I go to, I don't care about the clean house box. I'm going to this box, you know? It, it, that's the way that works. And it works together. So I want you to hear this thing. Women will lead. Women, you are to lead. But let him lead so you don't have to carry all of the burden yourself. Did you get that? So let him lead. And men lead, but not like patriarchal way. Lead as Christ loved the church. I love the old adage that says men are the thermostats and women are the thermometer. In other words, a couple comes in my office, I can tell how the marriage is going by looking at her, but usually it's based on the way he's been treating her. Ooh, that one's personal. So men, you ready to get stepped on a little? Let's do this together. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with a weaker partner, and that's a physical strength description, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace so that your prayers will not be hindered. When Peter wrote this, I'm sure there were some of them who were like, what? What did he just say? They're co-heirs? They are partners? Partners. And partners, not like in a Western, how do you do, partner? No, partners, like equal, like value, like on my, you're my, yes. Partners. Love them as your partner, not there to serve every need. Partner. And in doing so, he's saying, live with that. So I love what Russell Moore's book describes the storm tossed family. He says, uh, men are to lead, but leadership does not refer to power rather than to responsibility. So guess what? You're to submit your life to your wife's needs. Amen. Amen. But then I want you to see the four P's that men are also supposed to do that response. These are the, the responsibilities. One, pursue. You're to pursue her as Christ loved the church. When? From the day you met to the day you die. Why is that important? Because I don't know too many women who sit there and dream of the day when they're going to get to drop down on a knee and propose to their husband. I don't know too many women who are very excited about him standing at the, uh, I mean, her standing at the end of the aisle while he walks down to you. You want to be pursued. But here's the other reality is women already pursue men. Psychology even says, I say this with fear and trepidation, that women usually pick up men first. They're like, no, I don't. He approached me. Right. But you sent off some little waft towards him that made him come to you. You may not have realized it, but you did. <laughs> And like, it's like a crazy amount of statistics. And, and so you're, you're doing this with your little flirtation. And, and if you try to, if you like think in flirting, it usually doesn't work. So it's kind of has to be like a subconscious. But even the way you like, you position yourself in the room, you're like, hey, notice me. And so he comes over and you, he fell right in your trap, right? And the reason you want him to verbally pursue you is that you want it to be reciprocal. Hey, I flirted with you. Oh, he's coming to talk to me. So now it's mutual. And that we want that the rest of our life because women generally get the idea of romance better. They generally get the idea of intimacy better. And so that guy pursuing says, I am valued because he's coming after me just like I'm coming after him. But pursuing isn't only just physical pursuit, right? It's emotional pursuit. He wants to know who I am, like really who I am. He wants to intellectually know who I am. 
And that leads us to protect. Now, protect is uh, the one that when men think of protect, they think someone's broken the house. I'm going to get this, right? And that's important, right? Because I don't know too many women who are like married and, and like somebody, they hear a noise in the house. They're like, honey, I got this. You stay in the bed. I'm going to go evaluate. If you get a little scared, just here's the phone, call 911, right? They don't, generally that doesn't happen. I, I will tell you this. I, I did have a, a family, um, a, a young college student whose mom was a cop. So, and, and I asked him one time, I was like, Matt, if someone broke in your house, would your mom go figure this out or your dad? He goes, oh man, it'd probably be my dad, but I'd much rather be my mom. So I, I think the reality is sometimes those don't work that way, but stereotypically most wives would sit there and go, there's a noise in the house, go get it. And he's like, but I could die. She goes, that's part of the covenant relationship, baby. Now go. <laughs> right? Because you're going to love me like Christ loved the church. Well, he died. That's the Bible. <laughs> love you. Miss you. Hope your life insurance is up. That's too mean. Um, but, that's, that's, but it's not just physical protection. Do you emotionally protect her? When her brain's going... You sit there and go, it's okay. Do you hold her when she's scared? Do you dry her tears? Do you occasionally cry in front of her? which is also safe for her. It's okay to cry, guys. You probably want to let her cry more than you, but it is okay to cry. Usually. And then we're to provide. Why? Because Christ makes sure the church is taken care of. Now, archaic complementarianism. I've heard it's preached that if your wife makes more money than you, she either needs to quit or you need to get a promotion. That's poor theology. You know what you say if your wife makes more money than you? Holla! <laughs> we got that much more for kingdom work. We're giving it away. We're going to serve the church. We're going to, yes, my woman is awesome, right? But having said that, what it means to provide, my wife knows this. If we were to both lose our job and we were stranded, stuck, she knows I would work three shifts at a fast food restaurant if that's what it meant to take care of our family. Does that make sense? I don't, it doesn't matter if she makes more money than you, but she knows I'm not going to let our family, I'm going to provide for our family. Physically, emotionally, which means sometimes dads, you have to sit down and talk with the teenage daughter, but she's a teenage daughter. Right, and she needs dad. Sometimes you're going to provide discipline. Sometimes you're going to come home and provide adult conversation. Because what she really wants is to not talk like this all the time. And when she starts talking to you like this, you go, been with the kids a long time. I got them. You go out with your sisters. You know, go out and have a good time. And, but she just, you're going to provide that for her. Why? Because you love her. Then you're going to pray. Of everything I say today, this may be the most important. Why? Because the divorce rate in the church and out the church is about statistically the same with one exception. The couples that pray together stay together. And I'm not talking about God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. I'm talking about the end of the day praying together, 
Statistics say you have about a 90% chance of never getting a divorce if you pray daily with your spouse. And guys, this is the one thing I would strongly urge you to understand. You don't have to always pray, but you can initiate the prayer. And it may be, you're going to pray, honey, on even days, and I'm going to pray on odd days because I'm odd, you're awesome. You know, that kind of thing. But we're going to go forward, we're going to pray. Why is this so important? Because prayer is the heart of intimacy. Because it's communication. It's bringing God into your marriage. And you know what else is hard to do? It's hard to stay mad and have bitterness with someone you're praying with. We're going to pray together, but I don't want to. And sometimes my prayer with my wife has been the following. God, we're both mad at each other. Would you help us not be mad? Amen. How's that for a candid pastor moment, right? Sometimes it's God, we do not agree right now, and that's okay. But would you help us not to go to bed mad so we can work on this together? And then through the course of prayer also, you get to start hearing, what do you want me to pray for? And you get to dive into her emotional intimacy. What do you want me to talk about? And you get to, to hear, ladies, how valued it is when you say some nice words. What do you want to talk about? What do you want? You, you, you do life together. And prayer is at the heart of this. So the couples that pray together stay together. Why? Because marriage is ultimately about the cross. And when you give yourself away, you're going to find it. So wives and husbands submit to each other. And husbands practice the four Ps. What happens when we do this? I'm going to quote you a a long quote from Russell Moore's book. It says, the more a husband and wife are sanctified, the idea of sanctification there is drawing into the presence of God. In other words, taking on the Christ-like characteristics of who he is. The couple and wife who are pursuing those Christ-like characteristics in the word, God's word, God revealing himself, the more they or like the nervous system and the limbs and the organs of a human body will move, operate smoothly, effortlessly, and holistically. And in doing so, the marriage will point from itself toward the blueprint after which it was modeled, the gospel union of Christ and his church. So here's something you probably never thought you'd hear a preacher say, right? You want to work on your marriage? Stop working on your marriage. What? What? You want to work on your marriage, stop working on your marriage. Work on your relationship with God, and then God will have you work on your marriage. The best thing you can do, wife, is become a daughter of God. Passionately in love with the one who you don't have to practice grace-filled, you just get to practice respect with because he is perfect. Husbands, you want to learn how to lead your family? Chase after Jesus because you can never please her fully. Amen? And in the understanding of what that looks like as you give yourself away in friendships, as you give yourself at work, as you practice this attitude of submission, giving, practicing grace-filled respect with every relationship around, which is why if you're single, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you want to get, it all works the same. This is the gospel message. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And when we chase after Jesus, we find our peace. We find our hope. We find our restoration. And the relationships work out. I don't know if your marriage is on its last leg. It doesn't have to be, but stop trying to work so hard on it. Work in your relationship with Jesus and let him have the rest. Yes, go to counseling. Yes, do the little things that the other person asks you to do, but ultimately chase after Jesus harder. Then let me give you some practical Monday morning applications for us as we go. Husbands, <laughs> simple. Go to bed tired. I stole this from Matt Chandler. I was going to write him and ask him permission, but he's a busy man. I don't think he'd mind. But go to bed tired. What do I mean by that? If you go to bed tired, it means you've gone and given yourself fully protecting, providing, and pursuing her, taking care of your kids. If you go to bed tired, it means you've worked hard. If you go to bed tired, it means you put in your day's work. So don't just come home and sit on the couch and assume your wife can go bing, 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 
me get up and do some stuff. You don't know what to do? Ask her. I'm not talking about chores. I'm talking about every aspect of the marriage. Then wives, lead, love, serve, and submit. Lead in the areas that God has gifted you in, and you are gifted in many areas. And the opposites attract. So if you're good with money and he's not, please do the money, right? Lead. But when you can, give it away so you don't have to share the burden of it. And then submit to his leadership. Don't, he doesn't want to feel like a kid. He's not your son. He's your husband. So let him lead. And if he's not being the spiritual leader you want him to be, and I love what Anne Grand Lot says, pray. That's the best thing you can do. And that doesn't work, you pray some more. When that doesn't work, you tell one or two other sisters to come alongside you and you pray some more. And you trust God with the ability for him to stand up and find the man he's supposed to be. Don't nag him. Nagging doesn't help make him into a man of God. You need to do... No, that's not going to help. You pray for him, continuing to serve your family, love him, submitting. And then all of us, we get to see because all of this is really about your life pointing to Christ. Which brings us back to the cross. Marriage is about the cross. The realization that Jesus died for us and that we didn't deserve it. And the grace that God practices, asks us to practice in marriage, God gives us because, well, he entered a covenant relationship with us. If you choose to realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you repent and realize that you need it. You need grace. You need love. You need someone to say, I uncondi-, then you can be saved. And so all you simply do is say, Jesus, come into my life. And then you chase after him with every fiber of your being. If you've never done that, please stop by the next step space on the way out and let us talk to you about that. But for the rest of us, the really the point is to make your life point to Christ and let your marriages, your friendships, your work environment thrive. God, we thank you for how you move in our lives and our midst. Take this moment as an offering to you. Father, we are so thankful for what you're doing through our church. And we ask that you continue to move. We thank you for the beautiful story of salvation. We thank you for the gift of marriage for those who are called to it. God, we ask that you protect us, that we pray faithfully, and that we be a a beacon to you. God, guard our marriages. Guard those who are hurting. And God, we pray for restoration whenever possible. But when restoration has not been possible, either through somebody's um, choice or through it's so far in the past, God, we pray for healing love and restoration to our relationship with you. God, thank you for the beauty of the cross. Watch over us and guide us in your holy name we pray.